Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's always inspiring, isn't it? When you hear the stories of transformation, of what happened in a certain era, and then an encounter with God and the way God transforms us from the way we were to what He is leading us into. Well, let's take a little journey back in time to the 1970s, back to a hippie era at the end of the flower power era and in the United States with a guest today who is joining me in the studio here in Australia, but formerly a professor emeritus at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock in the United States, now living in Australia. David Weekly is joining us. David, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks for having me. David, take us back to the 1970s, the flower power era. You were a young man. You were free, experimenting with all sorts of drugs and a lifestyle that we're familiar with uh, to that 1970s culture. Well, it was a a day and time where people were very revolutionary. It was anti-government. It was be free, love, you know, dances, music, do your own thing. Uh, and I sort of got caught up with some of the, I was into the music at first, I, you know, I was going to rock concerts before I started getting into drugs, but that led me into the wrong crowd, and then one day after uh, after class in high school, a guy said, well, take, take me on, could you give me a ride? And I had a psychedelic Volkswagen at the time, so that sort of attracted attention, so I had the psychedelic Volkswagen even before I got into drugs, which is sort of interesting. So I, on my way home, he says, pull over over to this, by this pasture. And he pulled out a joint. And I was sort of the kind of, I'd just never even experienced it. I was sort of the kind of guy, well, yeah, I'll give it a try. But from that point on, I was hooked on marijuana. And then it went to LSD and mushrooms from the fields. and So, so you had the psychedelic... Volkswagen. Right. Was that something that everybody aspired to at the time? Well, there was a few of them around, but uh, I just was totally into that culture and everything that they were doing. So I had this old Volkswagen. It was my brother's Volkswagen. I sort of inherited it. And uh, and it was a dull green, and it needed a paint job. So I thought, well, I'm going to make a psychedelic Volkswagen. That's pretty trendy, you know. Uh, and I was growing my hair out. I had this big old afro you know, shoulder width afro. You had to, uh, you had to see me from head on because you couldn't see me from a profile because all the hair I had, it just sort of billowed around. And when I walked, it would bounce. But I had this idea. Well, I'm going to do a paint job on my car, so I got these model car paints. They're 15 cents a piece. If I'm going to do a lot of colors. Well, there's a lot of different colors in model car paints, you know. So I'd get, I had this big bag of of model car paints, and I'd go into our garage and do a little paisley print here and do a little black outline and another paisley print until I got, it took a month until I got the whole car done. And when you've got the car and you're dressing in the way that you would in the 1970s in that flower power era, you've got the hair. Right. 
you're attracted to a certain bunch of people who are just like that. They dress the same, they mm. drive the same sorts of cars, and right. they're into a drug culture. Right. And you were drawn in. Right. And I was it was just the style. I thought I was being cool, you know, teenagers are. <laughs> yeah. Bell bottoms that covered my shoes and frayed around the edges, you know, the the peace sign with the head thing and you know, I looked apart. But there was something else that was happening to you more mm-hmm. specifically at the time, David. And you were increasingly finding yourself having times of depression and no doubt times of elation and Mm -hmm. times of depression. These days we talk about being bipolar or manic depression they used to talk about then. Describe that, how that was affecting you. Well, it started at first, you know, I was sort of shy and I hated being shy and I was an introvert actually and I hated being an introvert. But when I was high i was giddy i was laughing i was the life of the party and i thought oh this is pretty cool but i would get depressed because you know i i couldn't say anything when the girls were around i felt like a wallflower when there was a bunch of people and it just really bummed me out now you've recorded your story in a book right and you've written your book as a work of fiction Mm-hmm. The names have changed, but the events are all very real to you. Right. And you've made it so that it's a comfortable page turner mm-hmm. for the sorts of people who might really identify with this idea of getting in with the wrong crowd. How do you describe getting in with the wrong crowd and the effect that it has on ordinary people? Well, you don't think you're in with the wrong crowd because... It's a bunch of fun-loving people. They're just having a good time. They're not doing anybody any harm. What's wrong with, you know, getting a little high and running around and going to parties? It doesn't seem like the wrong thing, right? But it led to more and more depression. Whenever I wasn't high, I was down. And and sometimes I would, there was more down than the elated, although I thought someday I might be a great writer someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I didn't have the, <laughs> the ability back then. Okay, so when you are, and these days, I'm not sure what they called it back in the 1970s, but we talk about a mental health crisis that's gripping Australia today and perhaps more widely spread in the West. Mm-hmm. If you are the sort of person who is battling some level of mental health crisis, do you think you're more likely to be drawn into the lifestyle that you're drawn into? I think people want a way out and they'll do anything to get a way out at times. And I've done quite a few book signings since this has been out a little over a year now. And I've done quite a few book signings and I am amazed, even more so than when I was younger, it seems like everybody knows somebody that's depressed, has manic depression or bipolar, or they were have it, had it themselves. And they're quite shocked when I tell them that I've overcome it. And they say, you're not on medication? I say, no. And they said, well, how long has it been? Over 40 years. (laughs) We're going to come to the turning point very shortly. But let me take you just a little deeper because it wasn't just 
the use of all of these new exotic drugs and the effects that they were having on you. But you were also drawn to what we'd call cults and perhaps mm-hmm. new age religious experience. Right. Take us into what you were into. Well, I was definitely sa- I was saved. But I had no knowledge of the Word of God. I've had, you know, I've prayed to God all my life, but I ha- did not have an accurate understanding of the Word of God. So I was like an empty here. I didn't know how to conduct my life. And I was searching. One time I was driving, I was hitchhiking down the road, and this gal picks me up. And uh, of course, we have a smoke. And she says, I'm going to a Buddhist meeting. You want to come with me? And I said, Well, okay, you know. <laughs> I was pretty game. I was a little bit too game. Just about anything that came along, I figured, oh, good experience, you know. I could learn something from this experience. And they would chant. I went into there, and they chanted and chanted. And and she told me that chanting, the more you chant, the more benefits you get. You know, and you chant more and more benefits. And I was, hmm, okay. And it wasn't too long after I'd been with them that they came by my house and they wanted me to join the group. And I said, well, I've given it a good thought and I could play my guitar four or five hours and get benefits. So I gave it a miss, you know, because I don't want to chant something that I do not understand one way whatsoever. I can understand a guitar and I can play it and people will get blessed, right? So just logic, you know. And no doubt you were raised in a home where it was Christian. Right. As you say, there's no depth in the word at this point. And you probably would what what we might describe as a like a cultural Christian, you know, Mm -hmm. known to be a Christian, but there's no real depth there. Right. There's this old saying that comes to mind, you know, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Did Mm. you feel as though you were being drawn into things that would not ordinarily be the choice of someone who did understand a foundation in God's word? I felt like that everything I did went wrong, you know. I was... For some reason, I was always getting pulled over by the police. Can you imagine that? All I was doing was driving around in a psychedelic Volkswagen, and I would go to jail for a seed, you know. Of course, they'd let me go because you can't get enough THC out of a seed, but everything I did went sour. Now, I did believe, you know, Jesus Christ died for my sins, and one thing I did know is that if the name of Jesus Christ, things would move. And I think that probably kept me alive for a while. And that led you to an encounter with God that was the start of a new leaf. Take us to that time, David. Okay, well, and this was going through, I'd been in jail, I'd been in jail three months. Maybe I ought to tell you one time when I was in jail, uh, God talked me into, got me a little drunk, a little high, and he talked me into taking a forged check and passing it. Well, I got caught, and he'd done dozens of them. I was going to go up for dozens of forged checks, which would have put me in jail for a long time. So here I was in jail, and I just I was wanting to kill myself. I just felt terrible about myself. So here I was under the bunk. It was a very crowded jail, so I was lying under the bunk. My bed was under the bunk, so I had this metal up in front of my face, and I 
prayed to God, and I said, God, I think I'm going to kill myself if I don't know how this is going to turn out. And that was the first time in my life I knew that the day I go to court, I was going to be released. I knew it. I knew it without a doubt. And from that point on, I had peace. So as a few more weeks, I went to court, and I was released. All of the feelings that you feel when you're going through those challenging times amplified because you were having these bouts of depression, what we'd call today bipolar. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. David Weekly is our guest. His new book is called A Higher Calling, and it tells David's story and describing what an encounter with God can do to heal those issues of bipolar and mental illness. We're back with more shortly. Taking an opportunity today to hear the story of someone who is reflecting on years back to the 1970s, the end of the flower power era, the driver of a psychedelic Volkswagen, taken into a new friendship group, drinking alcohol and smoking drugs, getting into LSD and a drug that's renowned to be a mind-bending drug. But if you have a mental illness, if you're suffering bipolar or manic depression, as it was called in those days, drugs have a major impact on you. David Weekly is our special guest. David's new book is called A Higher Calling. David, in your book, you describe the experience that you had in God that started to put you on a pathway to deliverance from your mental illness. Take us into what happened. Well, as I told you, I'd, I had a relationship because of prayer with God, because at one time my prayer was answered and I knew it was answered. Well, I'd always thought, and I wanted to hook up with a group of Christians, but I just was leery about it. My dad had taken me out of church when I was 12 and said they got too much politics. And I just never, so I was sort of leery of churches because of my, my dad just, we're not doing it anymore. So that made me a little bit leery. And so I had a prayer to God and I said, God, I want to know that I know that I know like that prayer that you answered when I was in jail. I want to know it like that when I found the right place. Does that question of God come from the heart? If you're that sort of cultural Christian and going along with being called Christian but not really having any grounding in God's Word, where does that prayer come from? Is it an intellectual prayer or it is a prayer that comes from somewhere a little deeper within? It's deeper within because I knew that God was love. I didn't know too much about Him, but I knew that God was love, you know. And it was that know that you know that you know that I had, that I knew it had to be God. You know, those experiences that just was my only thing I kept going toward, you know. So at this time, I had a friend, and, you know, we were sort of dating off and on, and she said, come on over. I want to introduce you to these guys. And we started talking about the Bible, and I knew I was at the right place. I just knew that I knew. So I got excited about uh, learning more about the Bible. Of course, the next weekend, I was thrown in jail for drunk driving. <laughs> so I prayed to God that night, and I said, God, it's 
said, I'm not going to do this anymore. If you get me out, and it was Christmas Eve, my parents were going to leave, you know, go out of town, visit. They said, you're on your own. You know, it was Christmas Eve. I was in jail. You know, the next morning, the next morning, my neighbor, a friend of mine that I used to smoke with, his dad was a preacher. And he came over, he came to the jail. They let me out on his word. And I knew it was God got me out of there. Does it take jail sometimes to capture your imagination, to get your attention? Does God use jail? I wouldn't. I don't know about that. I would rather had somebody teach me the Word of God all along the way, and I could have bypassed that, you know. <laughs> but the great thing about I got so excited about the Word of God, it made sense, you know. What they taught about the Word of God just made sense. They said, you were righteous. It says, God has made unto you righteousness. So some of the condemnation that had hit me so hard started to melt away, knowing that God had forgiven me of my sins and that I could walk in righteousness was a positive breath of fresh air to me. So I was just kept going to the fellowships, going to you know, Bible studies, uh, classes, everything I could do on the, on the Word of God, learn more about the Bible. A few months later, I realized, cause, and I used to get depressed all the time, I haven't been depressed. What's going on? It sort of crept up on me. I was just having such a good time, I didn't notice that I wasn't getting depressed anymore. So it comes down to what I can hear you saying is the group of people that you had been linked with previously with your psychedelic Volkswagen and your openness to drug experimentation and uh, those cults or uh, Eastern religions, when you moved in with a different crowd that had a focus on the Word of God, something began to change within you. And it wasn't like a bolt of lightning from out of the blue, but it was just simply the exposure to those truths of the Bible. The Word of God. And, and then I wondered said, how could this happen? I thought it would have been lightning, you know, and thunder, and you're healed, and somebody laying hands on me. How could this be? It just sort of crept up on me over time. And then a fellow taught at a, at a, a teaching at a fellowship that I went to, and he quoted Psalm 107.20, He, God, sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And I realized it was the word of God that healed me. The Word of God is that powerful. That's what makes me a little emphatic about people getting the greatness of God's Word in their minds and their lives. And I also want people to know it's available. It's available today to overcome your mental illness, whatever it may be. Do you think sometimes today we're inclined to leave the Bible on the bookshelf or we've got the app on our phone but we never mm -hmm. open it? What about what it takes to really grasp a hold of God's Word? Does that take extra help coming from outside, this new friendship group that you're a part of? How does that happen, that you actually then become infatuated and appreciative and begin to adore the Word of God? It does take teachers, I believe. It takes somebody that already has an understanding of the greatness of God's Word and to share some shortcuts of how you can start studying it for yourself and get something out of it. Because it was a closed book for me. I tried reading it, and I read the New Testament, and when I got to the end of it, it said, who you adds to these 
words will be added to the plagues of life. And he takes from these words. I said, oh, no, I did that all the way through it. You know, so I was like, uh-oh, I better start all over on this book. But I think it does take an understanding and people to show you what pertains to you, you know, because I don't have to sacrifice a turtle dove for my firstborn. What applies to you in the Word of God? And I started understanding that Jesus Christ came to make something great available. And it was, and it's some of the things in, in the book of Acts and, and in church epistles, Paul's epistles, that started realizing what he did make available in Christ. You're more than a conqueror through him that loved us. No condemnation to them who are in Christ. I can do all things. How positive is that, you know? <laughs> And what you're sharing is a way that many people might relate to us today, having those bouts of depression, Mm -hmm. being diagnosed with mental illness. And what you're describing is the power of the Word of God at work in someone's life simply by being exposed to it, by opening your heart to it, by having a different dimension of understanding of what that word does. Because there must have been a a time, and you mentioned you discovered that you were not having these depression moments anymore. At what point did you realize that it definitely was God's word that was doing this to you? It was that verse. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's when I realized it was God's word. And there's another verse he, he magnified. God magnified his word above all his name. Psalm 138.2. And then, David, you went on to study and you had a career. And God's word has been the foundation as you've gone through your career in media studies to the level of being a professor in a university. How has God's word helped shape you along those ways? Well, I was, you know, I was in video production for many years, and I, I said, God, I want a real job, because I was freelance. I don't know if you've ever been freelance. You might have been <laughs> in this business, but I was freelance, and I said, God, I wanted a real job, and that's when that job as a professor opened up to me. Now, this is after the book, of course, but that's when that job as a professor opened up to me, and they, it was a a university that I'd applied for a video job, but they had lost a professor and they needed to fill his position in like three weeks, you know, because they had all these courses. And they saw that application. They couldn't approach me without an application, for one thing. They saw that application and they'd say, let's give, give it a shot. Now, they had never uh, hired anybody without a, at least a master's degree. You just don't do that in academia, right? <laughs> but I did not have a master's degree. But th- this group of people, if it was the same people there now, they wouldn't have done this. <laughs> but this ha- particular group of people said, if you can get your master's degree in two, two years, you got the job. So you I'm the that. first and only person that has ever hired at that university without a Hired at first without a master's degree. I did get my master's degree. Well, things did work differently in the United States back in the 1970s. As you reflect on your new book, A Higher Calling, where does that title come from? Because you recognize there's something special that God has given to you that right. you're communicating through your book. It's actually a play on words because higher, because I was getting high all the time, but the calling's the call of God. And God's the one that gives you the higher calling. 
He's the one that calls us. It's an invitation, as it says in Ephesians. It's that vocation's an invitation. Are you going to answer the invitation? Finally, I got to the place where I knew enough that I could answer God's invitation, his calling. Undoubtedly, there'll be people listening to our conversation now who've Mm -hmm. come from that sort of cultural Christian background, not had that firm foundation, that deeper understanding of God's Word. There'll be people listening to us who've come from that Christian home, but, you know, they're experimenting with drugs and alcohol. There'll be people who are listening to us today thinking, I'm in with a crowd that doesn't take me into a deeper appreciation of God's Word. And I'm even suffering from that around issues of depression and some levels of diagnosis, even with mental illness. What are your thoughts for those people who are listening to us today about how they might get a new lease on life? They need to find a new crowd, for one. (laughs) Find a new crowd. That's hard, you know. They might even need to relocate, you know, if everybody around them is always coming over all the time, you know. And I had that happen to me. All these guys kept coming over. I had one guy come over wanting to sell me some drugs after I'd gotten to the Word of God. And he said, he said, David, what do you own? Man, you look great. Is it marijuana? You must have some good stuff. I said, no. Is it LSD? What is it? What is it? I said, it's God. And the guy just sort of flipped over backwards and ran out. <laughs> it was noticeable that I was doing much better, and it wasn't drugs. They thought it must have been pretty cool. It was. It's God. (laughs) So you had to have a clean cut from the old crowd. Right. You mixed with the new crowd, Mm -hmm. and now you've got this higher calling Mm -hmm. to give a message to people who are the old crowd. It's an interesting way God works, isn't it, in his redemptive purposes? And it is interesting, too, because my old crowd, there were a few that I still had friends, and and they said, that's fine, David, that's cool, you know. I found out they were Christians, and some of them came over because they were searching. We didn't talk about it because you just didn't talk about that. That's not a popular topic, you know, in that crowd, you know. But I, I think it's interesting that we were attracted to each other. My best friends, we were attracted to each other, and they turned out being Christians. It's not amazing how the Spirit of God can work. You know, and there's got to be people, you know, because most people don't talk about it, but there's got to be people in your sphere of influence that can help you, but you got to reach out. Well, the book we're talking about today tells David Weekly's story. David Weekly's new book is called A Higher Calling. It's an easy read, and it tells the story of really what is, I think, a healing from what we call these days bipolar. And so for listeners who are listening in, uh, this is an interesting read that might give you extra insight into what God might be speaking into your life. The book is called A Higher Calling. It's available from bookstores like Kurong and at online booksellers like Amazon. And you can find David Weekly on Facebook. W-E-E-K-L-E-Y, David Weekly. David, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. My pleasure. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 